Good morning, church. Welcome. Uh, now seems as good a time as any to pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning for your presence, God, for your grace and your mercy. We ask that you would fill this place, that you would calm our hearts, that you would help us to be sensitive to your presence and the things that you're speaking to us, Lord, that you would bring strength and healing to your people, God, and that you would be the Prince of Peace that you are for us this morning. We thank you for coming and bringing your peace to earth, Lord. We're grateful and we trust you this morning, amen? amen. It's always a good time to sing, to worship the Lord. But this morning, first we're gonna do an Advent reading. So I'm gonna ask Parker to come up. This is a responsive reading, just kind of like what we did last week. So there's a part that uh, Parker's going to read, and then there's a part that you guys are going to read on the screens, or we're going to read together. In a world full of violence and strife, we are reminded. It would be easy for us to view peacemaking as avoiding conflict but we are called to do the work of, the, of creating peace because of our unity in Christ. We are to have the same Christ We are a community with many differences, but we are one of we. But we are one of, of one baptism. We don't want to be people. We don't want to be people who merely avoid conflict, but who work together toward true peace in spite of our differences. We want to be a community that has difficult conversations and that are grounded in our love for God and for one another. We pray for one mind one that we might God. In a season when we talk often about peace on earth, today we light the peace candle and reflect on the peace of Christ and the possibility for our pe for peace in our world. We remember Christ as the Prince of Peace, and we remember our call to be peacemakers. In a world of violence, the Prince of Peace and peacemakers in our world. Lord, we are divided by so many things. Some sometimes these divisions lead to physical violence. It is, in, it is heartbreaking to see a lack of peace in, our, in the world around us. Help us as a community to be a, an example of what it means to not avoid conflict, but to approach it as peacemakers. Help us to be united in you as we seek to make peace in the world around us this season and always. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Parker. You may stand as we sing together and celebrate the Lord who came. Let's do it.
together. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. If you guys would play while I read the call to worship, that would be great. We're going to read from Isaiah chapter 9, a very familiar Christmas passage that I love. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. 
and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. He has done it. Amen.
us remember this morning while we're here, right? Here to worship the King. Let's do it. Thank you. 
morning is that we would um, truly be able to say that he is more than life to us and that we would experience the peace and the light that Christ came to give. Um, as we join together this morning in corporate prayer, would you just open up your hearts to God, open yourselves up to, to what it is he wants to speak to you during this time as well. Uh, so let's pray together this morning. God, we just thank you for your love. God, we just, we sit in the truth of the love that you have for us. We just take a moment to acknowledge that and to just soak that up this morning. God, I pray that your love, that it would just be so evident that, that right in this moment, right where we are, whether in this room or outside of this room or in our homes, God, wherever we may be this morning, may we just take a moment to rest in your love. God, my prayer is that each person in this room would know how profoundly loved they are by you. God, even the most, the person that feels the most unlovable, God, may they know this morning that they are seen and loved by you, that there's nothing we can do to make you love us any less. There's nothing we can do to make you love us any more. God, you so perfectly and beautifully love us just as we are. And that love moves in us and overwhelms us to draw near to you, to experience your truth in our lives. So God, we just open ourselves up before you this morning. God, we just invite your, your holy presence into this room. God, we just pray that your holy presence would be with those who aren't able to be here today. God, those who are dealing with, with sickness, those who are experiencing uh, grief this morning, God, those who are just in the, in the midst of of one sickness after another, just there's been so much going on 
God, for those who, who just feel overwhelmed, those who feel tired and weary, God, would you overwhelm them with your holy presence? God, would you overwhelm Kurt and Betty with your overwhelming presence this morning? God, as they, um, as they just deal with whatever it is that's going on with Kurt that, that caused him to, to struggle this morning, that caused his body to, to not respond this morning, God, to just shut down in a moment. God, would you just be with him? God, would you be with Betty as she just stands by her husband, as she just sits with him, next to him? God, would you just be with both of them, and would you help them right where they are, on the way to the hospital, in the hospital? God, help them to experience your holy presence. Help them to know that you are with them, God. God, we just pray as we open up your word. God, would you just help us to see your truth? Would you help us to be able to reconcile with the truth of your holy word this morning? Holy Spirit, would you help this word to come alive in a new and fresh and powerful way? God, as we, as we talk about your peace, as we talk about the peace of Christ, one tiny aspect of peace, God, would you help us? Would you help us to have a vision for what this kind of peace looks like in our lives? God, we open ourselves up to your word so that it will teach us and guide us and correct us if and when necessary. God, we look to you. I look to you this morning. God, would you just, would you anoint this message? May it be the message for your people this morning. And would you just give us the ears and the heart to understand, the willingness to receive and accept, God, would you just guide us? God, we love you. We worship your holy name. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I'm going to invite you to stand as we read from Romans chapter 15. We're going to jump right into it today. We're going to read Romans 15. We're going to be reading verses 4 through 13. This is what the Apostle Paul says. For everything that was written in the past, sorry about that, was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, 
so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, this is already week two of Advent, and I shared with you all last week that, uh, reminded some of you rather, that the word Advent means arrival. And so throughout the season of Advent, we are celebrating, we are acknowledging, acknowledging the things that we see that have come with Christ's arrival. Things like hope and peace and joy and love, all seen in Christ Jesus. And we celebrate the realities of these things in our own lives. We celebrate that because of Christ's arrival, we can lean into and experience things like hope and peace and joy and love as we sort of wait in this tension that we really talk about during the season of Advent, as we wait in this tension between Christ's first coming and his second coming, we wait but we wait knowing that we can experience the hope of Christ, the peace of Christ, the joy of Christ, and the love of Christ. And today we recognize peace. I really appreciated reading this week from one pastor who said, not all creation fully testifies yet to Christ's peaceable glory. In other words, we are still waiting to recognize that world peace that we've heard so much about. Right? We're still waiting and searching for that world peace that we hear so much about. Maybe even particularly we think about during the season of Christmas. We, there are so many images that, that come before us that are just peaceful images. We sing songs that are peaceful songs. We sing Silent Night and we sing Sleep in Heavenly Peace. And maybe we wonder, what must that be like? What must that perfect peace in Christ presence be like? We, we must wonder, is it possible to experience more peace than what we currently see and know? Because I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's not a lot of peace to be found in our lives, right? There's not a, a whole abundance of peace to be discovered and found in our world around us, in our country, in our cities at times, maybe even for some of you in your homes. You're still looking for that peace, and maybe you're even wondering, is this kind of peace that we sing about, that we imagine during Christmas, is this peace possible? Is a a heavenly, holy peace in Christ, is it possible? Especially, Especially when it seems like anything but a peaceful moment. Maybe we wonder this morning, 
how do we even begin to, to experience things like world peace, right? Maybe for some of us, the dreamers who, who just so long for peace to be realized, maybe even if it's not an entire world peace, but just more peace, if we long for that and we're willing to do what it takes, maybe this morning we are asking questions like, where do I begin Where does this kind of peace that we so badly long for, where does it begin? Maybe we wonder this morning, what is my role? What is our role as the church? These are just some of the questions that I want us to explore this morning as we open ourselves up to this passage that we just read from the Apostle Paul. Paul, in this passage, he speaks about peace, even though at first it may not be totally clear what Paul is saying. We're going to dig in just a little bit, and, and last week we were also in Romans, and I, I helped you understand last week or reminded you that Paul spends a great deal of Romans simply proclaiming truths, pro- proclaiming truths to, to the Christians in Rome about Jesus and about the gospel and about what Jesus wants to do in our lives. Paul spends such a, a great deal of time talking about the power that can be experienced in the resurrection of Jesus and the power that can be experienced through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And now at this point in the letter, Paul is making things more practical for Christians. He's saying, now here's what all of this looks like for you. Here then is how you are to live in response to these truths. See why it's so important to read books together? It's it's so important. And even though we don't always have time to do that here in this moment, it's so important to read books in chunks together because they go together. It's difficult to separate, but for the sake of time and all of that, I wanted to help you understand that, that Paul is helping Christians to see what all of this means for them and how they are to live. And one of the most helpful things that we can remember as we seek to understand what Paul is saying here is to understand that Paul is speaking to a group of divided Christians. Like this audience, those who are listening to to this letter that Paul has carefully written, they are a divided people. You just think we are divided or that we feel divided in this world today? There was not much division, division, I would guess, as there was between Jews and Gentiles. Like that's a division like no other, and yet that's who Paul is speaking to. Paul is is speaking to, to Jewish Christians and to Gentile Christians who are trying to coexist, but it's just so difficult. It feels impossible because I don't know if you know this, but these two groups of people, they could not be more different. And, and trying to do life together seemed impossible. There are several differences we can note. That, that exists between both Jew and Gentile, but probably the one that stands out the most to us, the one that we immediately think of is the food that they ate, right? And that this was a big difference that separated the two of them. As you know, the Jewish nation, they adhered to a very strict kosher diet, right? They obeyed very specific food laws. That was important to them, and that was what guided them in all that they did, They prepared their food in a very specific way. And Paul, in this moment, is likely addressing the very specific issue of foods 
meats in particular that were offered to gods first in worship and then they were served to people. Paul sees that this is becoming a a touchy issue for the church, for Christians. And so he's speaking to it. He has picked up on the fact that there are some who say, well, that's not a big deal. It's, that's not affecting my relationship with God. I mean, do I love it? No, but like, I can still worship God and, and eat this and it doesn't affect me. And then there are those who say, you can't do that. that you're, you might as well be worshiping these pagan gods yourself if you eat foods that have been prepared as a response of a worship to a pagan God. Paul recognizes this issue for what it is. He sees it's not a life-threatening issue, and it's not a, a black and white issue for a lot of Christians, but he sees that it's becoming an issue that is dividing the church. It's keeping them from being able to live in harmony and in unity, and so he's calling it out. He's, he's addressing the fact that you have those on one side who are judging the other and how they are choosing to eat and what they are choosing to eat. And then he's talking to those who are on the other side that are, that are judging others for, for their self-righteousness and their exclusivity, right? And here's something else that we need to understand. Not only was this issue of food a big deal for a Jew or for a Gentile, but we also need to be reminded this morning that table fellowship in this culture was a big deal, right? Table fellowship, it, many things were oriented around gathering at the table. That was so important for these cultures. And, and, and what they did around the table was meaningful. It gave them life. Gathering around the table was a joy for them. So how? How on earth are these communities supposed to gather around the table together when they can't even agree upon what's at this table? You see how big of a deal this would be? This was a big issue. This was not a small little issue. Paul recognizes this is causing great division in the church. Food, at this point, was becoming the idol itself. Right? I imagine Paul saying, Don't be worried about who sacrificed what to which idol because now the food itself is becoming your idol. You are more concerned about this food that in the grand scheme of things is really not all that important anymore. And you are so focused and fixed on this that it's becoming your idol. It's the thing you worship now before God. And so Paul's addressing this tension Paul's addressing this tension in this passage as he invites Jew and Gentile to come together, saying, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you all may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens then when we view this passage through that very particular lens. That's important to know, right? It's important to know all of that backstory so then we can come before this passage and and seek to understand what this means for us. And we recognize that Paul is essentially teaching here. Listen, Paul knew that this was a messy issue. Paul knew, like, I admire Paul because there are times as a pastor, and I'm not comparing myself to Paul, okay? I'm just acknowledging that there are times as a pastor 
When you feel like you want to touch on some, some issues that are, that are just really messy and, and you know as soon as you bring it up, people are going to get really angry with you. They're going to assume one thing or the other. They're going to assume you're saying something you're not or they're going to wish that you would have said something that you didn't say and they're going to make all of these assumptions. And so I admire Paul for, for being willing to address this messy issue I feel like this was a box that he was opening that was just going to be such a mess, and you can't put it back after you open it. And so I I appreciate how Paul is essentially teaching. He's acknowledging that this is a messy situation, and he is teaching that Jesus didn't run from the messy situations. Jesus wasn't afraid of messy situations. He stepped into messy situations. You talk about, we sing about the light of the world that stepped into our darkness. That was one big messy situation, right? And Jesus continued to do that. We see this in the gospels that Jesus didn't run from messy people or their messy situations. He stepped into them. He leaned into them. They did not scare him. He didn't avoid different people because of of what they did or didn't do. He helped them to come together and experience unity and peace in God. And Paul acknowledges this by saying, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Uh, If you go back and read the passage again, sometimes it helps to to read the passage again in light of what we've just talked about. And, And if you go and read the passage again, you notice that there are prophecies, right? Paul is sharing several prophecies. We read kind of the same thing over and over and just said a little differently Paul is trying to help both Jew and Gentile recognize that Jesus, who, by the way, was a Jew, he came as was prophesied, just as God said he would. He came through a Jewish bloodline, right? He came for and was among a Jewish nation. He came first for the Jewish people, just as God always promised he would, but it was prophesied time and time again that God seen in and through Jesus is a God of both Jew and Gentile. And and we've seen from the very beginning that there will be a day when all gather as one before God. And it's within this context, it's within the fulfillment of this proclamation that Gentiles are to be invited in and welcomed in as part of this family of God. As Paul says, there is no, or as we read in scripture, there is no Jew or Gentile. We are all one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what Paul is trying to reemphasize to this divided church. But surely, surely Jesus knew how difficult this would be. Right? Surely Jesus knew that this would be nearly impossible, it feels like at times. Surely Paul, he experienced certainly firsthand how difficult this would be. And it makes, you, it makes you realize that sometimes having a group of people who look and act and live just alike, that would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Isn't that why we have like 50,000 denominations? Because it's just easier to separate from those who don't think exactly like you so that you, no, right? We think it's easier, but it's not. And Paul and and certainly Jesus recognized that we were never meant to simply gather with those who look, live, and think exactly like us. Jesus knew that that this would be a messy situation, and yet this was the only way 
to experience true peace and unity in God as God had always hoped. I see verse 13. I, I, I read verse 13 and I see, as, I see it as a hope and a plea from Paul for, for the Christians in Rome. I just, I feel the, the sense of urgency and just the pleading that he has in these words. He says, may it be so, right? He has just kind of shared his heart. He's spilled his heart all over the place. And then he's, he's, he's urging, he's pleading with them saying, may it be so. May you be willing, right? Because the power of the Holy Spirit can do these things. But may you stubborn people be willing. I'm not saying that to you. Paul was saying that. May you be willing to let the power of the Holy Spirit move in and among you in this way so that these things that have been prophesied about long ago can be seen and felt and experienced and realized. Do you ever think, I wonder if the Jews and the Gentiles of this time ever thought that they might be hindering these prophecies from being fully experienced and realized? I mean, God is much bigger than their stubbornness, don't get me wrong. But Paul is saying, you, you're hindering all of the good that God wants to do in and among you. All throughout chapter 15, Paul is instructing Christians. If you go back and look, you'll see that he's not saying anything new here. Paul, all throughout chapter 15, is instructing Christians not to judge one another. Instead, he is imploring them. He's imploring them not to create a stumbling block for others with their lifestyles, right? He, in chapter 15, he explores this idea that those who are strong ought to look out for those who are weaker, and those who, who might be the more mature Christians ought to look at those who are not as far along and simply look for and hope for their well-being. And so you could almost say that Paul is saying that the focus here is not on what's best for me and my preferences in my relationship with Christ, but what is good for my neighbor, what builds my neighbor up and what helps them to see and experience Christ, what builds up my community. That's what we need to be focused on. We see in this then that, that Paul has this he, he strongly emphasizes selflessness and a mutual submission. It's very Pauline of him, right? That's his theme often that we see in his letters, that he highly emphasizes this life of selflessness, laying down my life for the sake of others. Where have we heard that before, right? And, and he, he highly emphasizes a mutual submission, a mutual submission, See, to live in unity within a community means looking out for others in your community and hoping for their well-being, hoping to see their relationship thrive as they draw closer to Christ. And sometimes that means, this is really hard and we really don't like this, but sometimes that means laying down my preferences, putting my preferences aside and look at my brother and sister and those within my community and hope that however we gather to worship, that they are experiencing the power of Christ in their lives. And if they're experiencing the power of Christ in their lives in a way that maybe I haven't experienced, well, praise be to God. And I won't judge what that is or isn't for the other person. 
Now, here's the thing that we need to understand. Paul is not saying in this moment that you all have to agree on this, right? I, I can very much see that Paul is, is, is alluding to the fact that there will still be disagreements among you, right? You're not all going to live, look, and act the same. You're not all going to agree on how to best live out this Christian life. It's going to look different for some of you. We're just going to acknowledge that, and we're not going to try to change that. Instead, I think what Paul is saying is that if Christ is the ultimate example of love, compassion, of caring for one another, of submission, of sacrifice, of selflessness, then this, this way of living is the ultimate and indisputable example for Christians, as one scholar put it. This is how we are to live. If Christ set the example, this is how we are to live. And so for Paul, for the Christians in Rome, and then for us, the church is united and and we are one, not because we agree on everything, certainly, but because we have the same foundation. Paul isn't avoiding conflict or confrontation because he knows that the way to true peace and unity within a community is to confront the things that are keeping us from living fully into this flourishing life that Jesus has for us. And so the way to live in community with one another is not to ignore the issues or pretend that there aren't differences, but to instead be reminded of who we are called to be like. And that then informs how we live in community with others who don't live, look, act, worship, think exactly like us. And so... Maybe now we can better consider the questions that were laid out at the beginning through this lens. Maybe we can ask these questions again. Questions like, what does it look like for us to experience this kind of peace and unity in Christ, which Paul talks about, where we come together as one, where we lift up not a bunch of divided voices before God, but we come together and lift one voice before God. What does that look like for us? Where does this begin? What is our role, starting with me, the individual? What do I need to address? What do I need to confront? And then certainly us as a community. I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like forcing a sameness, right? Meaning that every Christian is to look act, believe, interpret, and live these things out in the exact same way, especially when it comes to things that scripture is oftentimes silent on, right? There are a lot of things that, there are a lot of issues and things that come up within the church that divide the church, and scripture is silent on a lot of them. When it comes to very particular issues, I'm not talking about the foundational truths. I'm talking about our modern day issues that exist in a world that we know, not a world that this ancient culture new. And I try to think of an example that wasn't this one because it's the one that you just don't want to talk about. It's the one that you don't want to acknowledge. But church, I'm here to tell you that the way to this unity and this oneness is not to go and find a church that only exists of people who look just like you, who vote just like you who act just like you, who believe just like you. 
But this church that Paul has in mind, this vision that Paul has in mind, consists of people from all generations, from all ethnicities, from both sides of the aisle. That means we don't get to say, well, you don't belong here because you voted like this. Or you can't call yourself a Christian because you voted like that. That language, that attitude, that mindset does not belong in this kind of church that Paul is dreaming of. This unity, this oneness, this peace, which Paul describes, which Jesus longs for, is not a community that is completely homogenous. Because listen, communities and certainly faith-filled communities are, are full of people with differing opinions. We are very passionate about the things we believe. We have deep feelings about important issues, and those aren't just going to go away. There's a different way, though. The way forward is, is not to necessarily even keep silent and pretend like these differences don't exist, right? Meanwhile, we live in resentment towards our brother and sister because we know how they voted. We know who they voted for, and secretly I resent you, and I don't know how you can call yourself a Christian, right? We don't do that. We're not covering stuff up and pretending like it doesn't exist. But the way forward that Paul is dreaming of, that, that Christ is, is wanting us to live is to remember who we are and remember that we are to look like Christ. So maybe we need to ask more specific questions then. I'm gonna invite the praise team to come as we consider some of these questions because in just a moment, we're gonna transition to a time of, of receiving communion together. And I often use language that's that's that talks about the table. When we talk about communion, we often use the language of a table. Because ideally, and I say this a lot, we would all be gathered around one giant table in this room. We would all be in a circle gathered around the same table. That's essentially what we're going for when we come forward to receive communion. We come together. We come to receive together. And so these are important questions that we need to consider before we come to the table with our brother and sister. Those who don't look like us, act like us, live like us, talk like us, vote like us, believe exactly like we do. We're coming together. And so the important questions that we need to consider then, where in our community, in this community, where do we need to be confronted of our, maybe our judgmentalism or favoritism? Where do we need to be reminded of our foundation and identity that is found in Christ? When have we ignored conflict for the sake of this false sense of peace, all while acknowledging that it doesn't actually bring about peace and unity? Sometimes you have to address the conflict before you can get to the peace. In fact, maybe we'd say all the time that needs to happen. Where do we need to be more selfless? This is the question I need to ask. Where do I need to be more selfless? Where do we need to look more like servant Jesus? And if God extended mercy to me, I look around and I think of my brothers and my sisters and I wonder who is it that I can extend mercy to? If peace in community begins with me, where do I need to allow my heart to be transformed that I might be a person of peace? 
Let's just imagine for a moment that peace on earth might begin with me. Let's just imagine, pretend. If peace on earth actually began with me, what do I need to change in my life so that I can be a peacemaker? And if, if peace on earth begins with us, a people of God, what is it that we need to address and call out so that we can be peacemakers? I found an appropriate quote on Facebook that perfectly goes along with this. It's not often that you find something so helpful on Facebook, but this was particularly helpful, so I grabbed it. And the quote said, everyone wants peace. We can all agree, right? Everyone wants peace until they realize that peace means changing your tone when speaking with someone who irritated you. Changing your tone with someone who doesn't look, live, act, think, believe, or vote like you. Everyone wants peace until they realize that peace means changing your tone with someone who has offended you or disagreed with you. They all want peace until they realize peace means listening before responding. I think Jesus would say that that is important. So God, before we transition to a moment of coming together at the table, God, we just take a moment and we just open our hearts up to you. And we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to to show us in this moment how maybe we have been hindering this unity, this peace, this oneness, which Jesus calls us to. God, I take a moment to examine, to reflect, to open up myself before you, to open up my heart before you. And I just invite you to show me where I have failed to make peace, to love my brother or my sister despite our differences. God, I pray that you would reveal to us the ways in which we disturb this unity that we so badly long to experience. Holy Spirit, in this moment, would you just do what only you can do and speak to each person and and just reveal to us where we have fallen short and help us to see and to have an imagination for what this means for us. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to be one body. God, help us to love those in our lives who are most difficult to love. We pray this in Jesus' name. So in just a moment, your rows are gonna be dismissed by an usher and you'll be invited to come forward. I'm gonna ask Bo if you would come and, and help me to serve this morning. So one of us will be here and one of us will be here and you'll just come to one of us. And, and I always encourage you all to, to come with your hands cupped and that's just, um, just an act of surrender and openness before God because we acknowledge that this is a time where Christ fills us, right? And so we're opening ourselves up to the ways in which Christ wants to fill us. But before we dismiss your rose, I wanna share with you um, our, our small group is reading a book by Sky Jatani, and he talks a lot about this, what we've talked about today. 
And I love what he says about communion or a shared meal. He says, a shared meal is a powerful reminder that what Jesus accomplished on the cross wasn't a sacrifice merely to redeem me personally, but the way God has reconciled a people to himself. As we look at our sisters and our brothers around the Lord's table, we are reminded that the new covenant is how Christ has brought reconciliation between a hostile people, not just between individuals and God, but between a community and God. And so I just pray that as you come to the table, that you would come acknowledging that we are a people. We are one. We are one body that's coming together before the Lord. Amen? Amen. Before we dismiss the rose, I'd like to ask if there's anyone who is not able to come forward, if you would just slip up your hand, and I will come and serve you first. You can go ahead and stand at your seat.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace that in this moment can be seen and felt and tasted and realized. God, would you bless these sacraments to our body? Would you help our body to be a blessing to both our brother and sister here and to the world around us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. So brother, sister, take, eat, and be thankful.
And in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant of my blood that is shed for you. So brother, sister, take, drink, and be thankful. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. seated. I had one more quote to share with you because sometimes there are so many good ones that you just can't choose. And so I want to leave you with these thoughts before we share announcements and dismiss. This was from Parker Palmer who says, in true community, we will not choose our companions for our choices are so often limited by self-serving motives. Let that sink in. Instead, Our companions will be given to us by grace. And often they will be persons who will upset our settled view of self and the world. In fact, we might define true community as that place where the person you least want to live with lives. Brothers and sisters, you are loved and it is a joy to be in community together Let us continue to open ourselves up to how God wants to move and transform this community. Amen? Amen. Well, let me just share um, a few quick announcements with you before we leave. There's not a whole lot here other than um, if you do have your gift card still, we need those today. Today is the last day for those. Um, Do we have a number? No, it was about like, I think, 50 or so. So if you want to talk about... um, You know, if you have it at home and you weren't able to bring it, let Trisha know. But we do need those today, and um, so we will get the rest of those taken care of so that we will still be giving Restore Network 70 gift cards as promised, and so don't worry, that will still happen. Um, And I think there's still time to sign up for the Restore Network Christmas party um, as a volunteer to set up and tear down or as a volunteer, Um, so you can look into that if you haven't been able to do so yet. Um, Also, this is not a planned announcement. I'm going rogue on you, but I'm just reminded of um, the Good Samaritan breakfast. I was looking at Joanne, and I was remembering about that. Um, The Good Samaritan breakfast this year is going to be on Christmas Eve, and um, this year they are looking for people who can go online. There's a link that we can send out to you all if you're wanting to go uh, sign up to donate items for the breakfast or to sign up to be a volunteer at the breakfast on Christmas Eve. Um, Typically, I know we've had a few people ask questions about us bringing the gifts to donate, but another organization has taken care of that this year or volunteered to do that, so we're not needed to bring those gifts, but you can still sign up to bring items for breakfast, or you can volunteer to go. And so I just wanted to make sure we support that and get that fully Um, fully supported, okay? And then um, the other announcement we just wanted to remind you of in case you missed it is that this year there will be no Christmas Eve service. However, we will gather together on Christmas morning at 1030 um, together. No Sunday school that day, just gathering at 1030 for a special time together for a Christmas service. Um, And then you'll be on your way that the rest of that day, okay? So just make note of those things. And now I'm going to invite you all to stand together this morning.
Brothers and sisters in Christ, may you go in the peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That was weird. (laughs) I'll just acknowledge that. (laughs) Thanks. May you go in his peace and be makers of peace. May you seek to love brother and sister and world as Christ has loved them. You are dismissed. Have a great day.